Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more. different journeys that were in this book 
This book is an amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And it just was released on paperback, so I thought that was a really cool song to open up with. Let me bring James into of the chat room or actually into this um, studio. If you want to call in, the number is 347-677-1036. And the chat room is open if you'd like to go into the chat room. And um, let's see. Okay, James, are you there? I am here. There you are. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you're here today. thank you. I love having you on, and this book is just amazing. And... um, You've gotten amazing reviews on this book. I've I've like watched over the last year, um, it being reviewed and just what amazing people have said about this book. And you released it in paperback recently, correct? Well, uh, the publisher and uh, Seven Stories Press and distributor Random House did so, which. Uh, you know, it was nice. It was nice to see the belief and support, especially coming from an independent publisher. That you know, it did okay, and it's out there now in paperback. Uh, and actually, next year will be released three different translations, uh, beginning in February with a German publisher, uh, Nautilus Edition Nautilus, and they're based in Hamburg. Which actually, there is a a Beatles museum in Hamburg. Uh, they have their own claim to, you know, the big, a big part of the Beatles story way back in the beginning. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been an interesting uh, journey. <laughs> journey and yeah. also the, the relevance of the conversations uh, and to what extent, you know, Lennon remains an inspiration and what he really came to symbolize Mm-hmm. You know, last year when it was when the book was released last year about this time, and heading into February, there was a lot of talk about the Beatles' 50th anniversary and mm-hmm. you know, just how much changed with the Beatles decade and all of it's valid, all of it's true. It cannot be overstated how influential they were. But what I've been able to discover really with Lennon is this separate. Image and and legend at times that remains true and and carries a relevance that's far more than just a '60s time capsule. And I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form the Beatles were just that. You know, if, to have done that once in a lifetime is amazing. Mm-hmm. What Lennon did separate was separately amazing. No, totally. And you said something interesting before we came on the air today that we were what we were going to discuss today. Because I always like to check, you know, with my guest what we want to focus on, and what we want to focus on is John Lennon and life and rejoicing and um, the positive end of it. Because we know recently there's just been a anniversary of um, his passing. And we don't want to focus so much on that. We want to focus on the the positive stuff. And um, this book has a lot of really amazing um, stories in it, and 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 uh, history that you know has happened, and things that were written and done. And um, I think that you know, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what made you decide to write a book about 
the Beatles, the Walrus and the Elephants, John Lennon's Years of Revolution. What what made you decide to start focusing on this? Uh, the singular story. Mm-hmm. And it should be kept in mind. Um, you know, I'm not a paperback writer of a thousand pages. It's actually a short book. Um you know, and it is, it's one story. It's his years of revolution, as I call it, primarily mm-hmm. Lenin versus Nixon. Uh, primarily the story that began actually uh, 30, uh, what, uh, three years ago this month uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm-hmm. when Lenin sang on stage, declared himself. You know, here in America, ready to join the different movements, the anti-war movement, the movement to rally the youth vote with the 18-year-olds just having been given the right to vote, uh, you know, and the whole civil rights piece, et cetera. And he jumped right in and caught the attention of the, the unflattering attention of the Nixon administration, which tried to deport him. And basically, the book follows that story arc, if you will, one isolated. We all know everything that happened before with the Beatles and know about his retirement years and the extremely tragic way his life, you know, was cut short. But Mm -hmm. in that brief period of time, and when you look at it, it was interesting, A, to have found... Uh, and met the surviving members of Elephant's Memory, mm-hmm. which had been kind of an asterisk footnote, not really explored, but they spent a considerable time, a year, a little more than a year, with Lennon. Uh, frequent, if not, you know, at times, constant companions. And that mm-hmm. had been overlooked, so it was a side of Lennon. But then yeah, I have Gary at, on my show soon. I'm going to have Gary on my excellent. show. That's right. And, and he um, just released a CD. Um, I can't wait. Yep, I just can't wait to have him on. And you were like right before that, so this is like so perfect. And I know Eva um, is such a huge supporter of you, and I want to thank her so much for telling me about you a year ago. Um, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, not at all, and definitely, and Gary, uh, Pop Goes the Elephant is uh, his new CD that's coming out, mm-hmm. or it's out now, yep. and outstanding, um, and in fact, he had, well, he has some surprises on it, and he can tell everyone about it. I know, I can't, uh, but I it's, urge it's again. really cool, it's really cool, yep. You know, but then second, and, and you know, I'm not a music writer, I'm not a... Uh, music critic or whatever, or trying to explore Lennon's music, uh, what the members of the Elephants were able to provide was a really nice look at a guy mm-hmm. who, not perfect, this isn't St. John, you know, writing, it's basically a decent guy, you know, who tried, um, was sincere about a lot of things. It's unfortunate their musical collaboration couldn't work out, and the reason it couldn't work out and they couldn't go on tour was because of part two or, or the second real element of the book, which is Lennon versus the Nixon administration, his fight to get his green card. Mm-hmm. And yep. that 
particular period of American history is just so explosive with, with things that are so still very relevant today. And and whether it's, you know, the right to peaceful protest, uh, you know, with different, at the time the issues were so sharp, the Vietnam War, the, the the birth of the women's movement, the, you know, finally trying to come to terms with what had been a segregated America not too much, too long before that. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so many changes, so many social information changes. And when I say it's all relevant, you know, it's one thing for Lennon, the Beatles, to have created music that is still listened to, admired, uh, inspires, you know, and many other things. But the story in The Walrus and the Elephants, it came up as recently as a month ago when President Obama signed his executive order uh, on immigrants, uh, Mm -hmm. creating a we're not going to deport you Status. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of people, the Washington Post pointed it out, and the attorney, Leon Wild, whom I interviewed for the book, Lennon's immigration attorney, who on his behalf filed suit against the government and, and this and that, he was on MSNBC uh, last month saying basically the legal precedent that President Obama had. <laughs> And still has in his pocket if Casey needs to veto any silly legislation is the no priority clause. And that was, uh, Leon discovered it. That's what he used with Lennon. And the Washington Post pointed out it was one of the first times that clause had been used. And it set a precedent that still <laughs> helps people, you know, kind of pursue the American dream. And if you, if you want a legacy, completely separate from hit records or, you know, having sold more records than anybody, um, you know, still, uh, you know, that, that's a whole other avenue to one. Plus, you know, the peaceful protest. I was in New York last weekend uh, talking to people who, you know, New York was one of the obvious cities, a lot of protests over the officer on Staten Island and, you know, police brutality led to a death. And and we were talking about, you know, the difference between peaceful protest or just destruction. And that was the question Lennon faced when, you know, he became briefly allied with Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin and People on the fringe who back then weren't above doing, you know, some had engaged in that. And yet the mm-hmm. ones who did it peacefully and with a system got longer lasting, broader results for positive social change. Yeah, you know, that I think there was a lot of a lot of change that came about. I think that he invoked a lot of spirit in a lot of people. So I think that we and what's really funny is James you still see all the stuff still happening now in our current world like how how the beatles are 
going to be around. And John Lennon, icon. Um, and it's just so funny how we reference back to John so many times in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, not to forget all the other Beatles, too. There were many other references back to George and Ringo and Paul. But, um, as you said, John was very much of a revolutionary person, um, stood up for his rights and wasn't afraid, basically. Um, no, and he, and he took it to a very much uh, practical, uh, grassroots, on-the-street level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what he showed, you know, by by living his art and whether his art was music or activism as an art, there was still that kind of common touch, you know, that, and it's important to remember, and it was pointed out in the book that a lot of people at the time thought he was nuts. Even people who liked his music, even people, you know, who liked rock and roll or, or, you know, thought Lennon had gone a little too far up. Why? Because, you know, it's kind of funny to think because he did press conferences for peace. He had he, he took out billboards for peace and was criticized for it, you know, as if they would prefer, you know, you should just be pushing records or trying to make money. <laughs> and he really wasn't. He was trying to get a message out and using the media to do it. And that blueprint of informed celebrity activism at that level, you see in play with whether it's Angelina Jolie or Bob Geldof or, or Bono or you know, even on smaller levels working at a community level. Mm-hmm. You know, and Lenny kind of showed hints of that and that, you know, it's certainly easy to imagine that, you know, he would have continued and did, you know, do so much. I was just at the uh, John Lennon Tribute Concert mm-hmm. in New York last week, organized by a theater within, and Joe Rayola and Stephanie Carlin, among others. Uh, Stephanie has a project called the John Lennon Real Love Songwriting Project, which uses music as therapy in hospital for uh, children with long-term care, you know, that are in there for mm-hmm. a long time and, and encourage, you know, and try to play guitar and, and maybe write a song by the end. And it's done with this complete collaboration with medical staff and really used as therapy. That's and awesome. what a thing, you know, to keep going. Uh, you know, yeah. but overall they've given to, you know, uh, either last year or the year before to Hurricane Sandy relief, you know, raise funds for that. Mm-hmm. You know, what Lennon had in mind, the story in the book, it's really a shame it didn't happen because, you know, he was getting pressured or, or being asked to, you know, lead a youth rally, but he did it on his own terms. You know, they planned to have this tour in 1972, Lennon would headline, and much like the Johnson Clair Freedom Rally in, in Michigan, combination of music with speeches with people pushing causes they had Bobby Seale from the Black Panthers they had Jerry Rubin Hoffman 
I think Ginsburg was like, you know, just that kind of free-for-all night. And everybody was trying to push their own agenda. But what Lenin had to say was, you know, I don't need any money. We'll just leave our share of money in the town where it'll do the most good. And he had this vision of taking a national energy and trying to help local causes. And that's the real shame that didn't happen. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But it continues. But it, it it does continue because so many things are done in his name, and who knows the seeds planted. You know, if people are cynical that a bunch of celebrities gather and sing a song, well, look at the offshoot because other people did things kind of inspired by it and did it at the local level, and you can't calculate how much of that has gone on over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, generation... You know. That's amazing. You know, it is. It it goes from generation to generation. It absolutely does. It's a continuation, I think, of all kinds of different things. Um I want to hear about the concert. I I missed that. I um what was that like? Who all played? Oh, it's such a night to have for uh you know, to raise funds and especially for local or something like that this year. Um, you know, they had uh, Debbie Harry, uh, Blondie was there. Uh, oh, awesome. Yep, Kate Pearson from the B-52s. They did a really nice take on Strawberry Fields Forever. Marshall Crenshaw was there. And his kidding. side to it, you know, and his side to it, which I didn't know, is that early in his career he had played Lennon in one of the first... Broadway cast of Beatlemania mm-hmm. way back when. So, And uh, uh, one of the highlights, certainly Ben E. King from the Drifters did Stand By Me. Wow. And I That's think one of, my fa- one of my favorite, in a way, moments uh, of the show, uh, I kept wondering throughout it if, you know, at the very end, the kind of encore certainly audience sing along, you know, if they do imagine and, and or end it on that kind of note. But instead, actually, the last two songs were uh, Roll Over Beethoven and uh, Hard Day's Night, just rock and roll and fun. <laughs> and everybody, oh, that's you know, amazing. Rock and roll was supposed to be fun. You know, what did Debbie play? Um, she did Jealous Guy. Oh, did she? Um, oh, I would have loved really to nice, that. Really nice, very nice. Yep. Oh, very I nice. bet. I bet that yeah, was amazing. Um, just overall, the theater with him has been doing this for like 34 years. And next year he hopes to have a huge show for the 35th. And next year would have been Lennon's uh, 75th birthday. Wow. He wants to uh, date people out there. No, I know, but still, you know, it's it's very interesting when you hear that. You know, I want to say something really quick about you. You are um, not. You have also published other books as well um, that are available um, on Amazon. If you go under James A. Mitchell, M I T C H E L L, you have a couple other really amazing books. Um, that I've actually um, looked at, and one I've actually gotten, but for the grace. Um, I, I love that one. That's a pretty amazing book. 
Um, well, thank you. Yeah, they I, um, that one. No, I know, I know. I could tell when you wrote it in the rating, the way it was written. Um, and and you know, the book that we're talking about today, The Walrus and the Elephant: John Lennon's Years of Revolution, is available on Amazon and other many other places. But you can get it on Amazon as a download. Um, it's really cool to have a book. I'm like um, old. I like to have a book in my hand. I um, and you've actually inscribed a little to Holly in the front. I love that. And it's a really it's really nice to have a book in your hand. You know, um, I do like Kindles and I do like um, you know audio t- audio books, but um, there's nothing like having a book where you can actually make notes or put bookmarks in it and stuff like that. But you are um, an amazing author. I mean, you've written um, some really other, some other really great books, and um, you were a reporter and editor for more than thirty years in New York and Michigan. Um, you worked as an Army soldier journalist, which I thought was really, really cool. When we talked about that on our last show, um, you were telling us a little bit about how you weren't there to fight, but you were out there to cover what was going on. Um, what's that like for you? I mean. How did you well, move? I, mean, I was actually in the army. You know, I was uh-huh. just being a uh, journalist was the MOS job description. But no, I'm armed and probably dangerous to myself at times. Um, oh, you wow. know, it was, um, you know, for a couple of years it was just uh, Germany peacetime. Although on a couple of occasions when I was with the 101st, we were down in Honduras during the early 1980s, mm-hmm. and uh, the different games Reagan had going on with Nicaragua, El Salvador, that whole Central American mess. That was sure. a long time ago. Yeah, and but just, still uh, part of the etched past in your memory. You know, for me, a writer, sure. Um, you know, just go where the story takes. And, you know, journalism at a community level one way or the other led to each of the books I've written, whether one was about community journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sri Lanka I met because we were running uh, community fundraisers to help this orphanage and the organization uh, that had suffered not only from the tsunami just about 10 years ago now mm-hmm. um, at the end of this month, but then also the war. And to have found a connection between sponsoring a group of supporters here and this poor little orphanage that you know had been hit for as long as anyone could remember with war, poverty, ethnic intolerance, uh, yeah, and then the tsunami on top of it, but still survive and still keep you know. And the war is over now, thankfully. Um, yeah, that must have really impacted you, though. It must have. It must have really. Um, I mean, I can only imagine because I know certain things that have gone on in my life. I I never forget. It's very graphic. I'm sure there are things there that you hold on to, that will not hold on to in a physical sense, but mentally, they're still there. And you've written about quite a few of these feelings, I'm sure, but. Um, what 
what made you um, get into journalism? Because you wanted to let everyone know the truth or you wanted to just put the word out there? I mean, um, I mean I've always wanted to write. And mm-hmm. I think in simplest form is, you know, you, you want to say something, express something, you know, whatever, and that can take the form of fiction, which I'd still like to write, or, you know, creative nonfiction. Uh, you know, people have fascinating stories if you can get into it. Um you know, and it was just another avenue that I've always had wanted to write books and been lucky enough to done a few and hopefully some more after this. Uh, the Walrus and the Elephants, you know, did well enough to, just good enough to encourage me that maybe I can, you know, and you're never too old to learn. Uh, I was fortunate to have a publisher who served as editor, Dan Simon, who really took me to task in the difference between being a reporter and being a storyteller. And I think hopefully uh, what came out was, you know, it makes a much better story, a better read, and just keep learning the craft and try to get it right one of these days. Yeah, no, and and you certainly have created some amazing stuff here because it's... uh... You definitely paint pictures in all your books. Um, I haven't read the other two, but I've had the pl- privilege to read this one and also um, the one that I told you that I acquired through Amazon. Um, I I just think you're a brilliant writer because the way you write is you basically are really telling people really what happened. When you were um, doing The Walrus and the Elephants, I think I asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you now because I'm sure that it's changed. Are there any specific parts of the book that you really um, had had experiences with or feelings with more so than others that you would like to share with our listeners? When you were well, writing? Uh, you know, it, it was different certainly from the greatest book or even the one on community journalism because I wasn't there, you know, and this Mm -hmm. was all done. But I think there were different uh, descriptions of Lennon where I had to, you know, not be intimidated by the subject, but by hearing Mm -hmm. so many different stories from Gary Van Syak, the bass player from Elephant's Memory, who you mentioned earlier, as yeah, well it's going to be on the show. Mm-hmm. That's right. As well as uh, Adam Ippolito, who was the keyboardist, and uh, the late Wayne Tex Gabriel, uh, who was the guitarist originally from, well, originally from Texas, but grew up in Detroit. And, uh, you know, hearing so many stories, and they pieced it together, and I, I did get enough of the sense that I could sort of describe casually and through these kind of conversational portraits, you know, a picture of one. And so that, you know, touched me. And then at the end of the book, uh, a section where I was able to bring it up to date, I was able to speak as much as possible uh, for a generation of mine that, you know, I was 
20, you know, when uh, Lennon was killed and, you know, kind of behind the curve, but he had meant things, you know, to a lot of us. I wasn't the only one that had a, you know, in my teenage bedroom, I wasn't the only one that had a picture of him somewhere on the damn wall, you know. Uh Uh-huh. Um, you know, the White Album portraits or, or whatever. And also my having begun to, you know, really get to know Wayne Gabriel and then sadly he passed away near uh, the beginning of the project. You know, so that, you know, I just, I just said it, uh, you know, inserted myself into the story a little, but mostly it was a good exercise in... You know, just doing a lot of interviews with people and reading a lot of, and there was so many press accounts to work with that, you know, Mm -hmm. a a story emerged. And it really was a conventional little three-act drama with, you know, the subplot, will they be able to make a record and go on tour and what he was going through as a person. But then the main, literally cloak and dagger type, you know, spy games going on and would he get deported before you know Nixon and Hoover uh, were finished and Lennon won and like I said at the beginning it's one thing to have been you know the biggest rock star of a generation or beyond but to do things against the mightiest government of, on the planet and win you sure, know that no, stands I mean, forever that... That's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. I know that um, we uh, are only going to be going for a very short period of time here longer because you have a commitment, so do I. We just recently, I'm recovering from the storm yesterday. It was really, really bad here. Um, But out of the positive note on on all of it, um, we are officially out of the drought in Sonoma. And I believe um, California, parts of California, and um, we have. I have a a new river in my backyard that was never there. <laughs> well, actually, a creek. I should say a new creek. It's a very fast-moving water, but um, I am really glad that we're here. And again, if anyone wants to listen to the show and missed it from the beginning, it will be available on iTunes. And also on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio on Demand afterwards. And we're going to be on for probably about 15 more minutes or so. If you'd like to call in, the number is 347-677-1036. The chat room is open. And um, again, today I have James A. Mitchell on. We're talking about his newest book, The Walrus and the Elephants, John Lennon's Years of Revolution. And... um, uh, let's see. Um, I I just really love having you on because every time you, I, last time we talked, gosh, we did. We talked for a really long time, and there was so much information to be given out there. Um, what part of the book can we let's talk about? Um, let's talk about his activist when he was um, going and helping people. Um, John Lennon, um, the part in the book where he was helping people that were fighting against the movement um, for the Chicago, during the Chicago 7 thing um, with the black um, group that he was working with, with Gloria Steinman and 
all that stuff. How did you um, how did you do research on all that? Well, again, a lot of it was so well documented, and mm-hmm. both in news media accounts from the time, as well as mm-hmm. the many, many FBI documents uh, pulled from their surveillance of Lennon. Uh, you know, and he ran with he. You know, he came to America in 70, 71 from England and, you know, finally by 71 had decided, you know, New York was where he wanted to be. He wanted this kind of involvement of, you know, the the movement, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the anti-war movement, um, you know, all lumped into the many passionate causes that were out there. Uh, you know, and it was such a range, and so many of them so uh, high profile. And of course, being Lennon, you know, he had opportunity to meet, you know, the absolute top, and that was from all fields. You know, well, there's a photo in the book of Geraldo Rivera and Rudolf Nureyev, you know, who dropped by the studio to meet him. So did Jackie Onassis, you know, mm-hmm. among others. Now, on the political scene in New York, he quickly found connections, including notably Jerry Rubin uh, and partner cohort Abby Hoffman, you know, uh, snagged Lennon's attention early on, as did Rennie Davis. Now, those three were part of for the listeners who may not remember, uh, the Chicago 7, who had been charged with inciting riots at the Chicago 1968 Democratic Convention, Mm -hmm. one that was widely televised and what was later called a police riot because the police were playing fast and loose with tear gas and billy clubs. So, you know, Lennon's association with them did two things. It gave this energized, oh, what you know, what could the movement do with the power of John Lennon? But it also put him in the crosshairs of Hoover and Jagger Hoover and Nixon, who obviously were keeping tabs on quite a few of these people. You know, mm-hmm. most if not all. And the concept of Lennon leading this tour, concert tour, that would coincide with the 1972 election campaign to rally the 18-year-old vote, probably against Nixon, dared the Nixon administration into trying to deport him. So he ran, and and it's funny because that 72 election was so pivotal and so focused on Vietnam, and, and Abby and Jerry, you know, were so focused on getting rid of Nixon but as we were saying earlier on, uh, you know, in, in the program, it was the longer-lasting things that he was simply talking about, you know, civil rights, civil movements, peaceful protest. To me, the funniest line in the whole book, and here's mm-hmm. what he was facing. Here's what everyone in the movement was facing. One of the FBI documents uh, clarified that Lenin had been known to support 
feminism, minority rights, quote, and other subversions. So at that time, the federal government, the top law enforcement agency in the country, defined by definition feminism and minority rights as being subversive to the country, to the powers that be. And that's where we were in 1972. And wow. Whether anyone was right, you know, there were a lot of things done and said that people were right or wrong about. However, equal rights for women, for minorities, equal rights blind to sexual preference, equal rights blind to, you know, whatever. That's what this country is all about. And we keep fighting mm-hmm. it. So, you know, he was on the right side of a lot of things early mm-hmm. on, and that, that that's the part that lives on. Absolutely. We see it every day. And, um, you know, it's really funny, James, I have to tell you, and almost, I can't, I can't remember not one of my shows having a common thread, and that's always been John. John's always been somewhere in that interview, either someone brought him up or music or, you know, so many people have been inspired by him and um, just, you know, just amazing stuff has happened. I think he was a catalyst for so many different people and obviously with you yourself, a catalyst to help you um, do this amazing book. Um, I want to ask you, what are you currently working on right now, James? Well, looking into, you know, I'm always open to the next story and uh, trying to balance and continue to find long-form, you know, stories to write. And I've got a couple in development, shall we say. Oh, wow. Um, as opposed to, you know, the news industry, media journalism is getting... It's at a pivotal point, you know, and I don't think long-form books can be, are going to be replaced. Papers mm-hmm. won't be what they were. Uh, you know, changes are usually double-edged swords. There's so much good that's come of technology, and then there's things that will be left behind. We just don't know mm-hmm. which they are. You know, but... Uh, I can't wait to see. Um, are you going to follow up with another book with this at all? Do you know? Um, about Lennon? Uh-huh. Probably not. I think I told Lennon's story. I'd hope to, you know. And it's one of those, I mean, there were so many books out about him. And even at the beginning, it was a little daunting, not only writing about such, you know, an individual, but... You know, was there anything left unsaid? And it was a delight to find this little niche story, mm-hmm. you know, that had not been blurred in such a manner. And also to give the elephants their day in the sun, finally, you know. Mm-hmm. They were with him for mm-hmm. a good amount of his uh, solo output and certainly solo performances. So uh, that was fun. I think uh, I may write about Grace again. There's... Other stories local I'm looking into, uh, you know, to ponder. And 
I'll never be bored as long as, uh, you know, people continue finding creative things to do, good and bad. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I I believe I believe that's true. And um, you know, uh what what would you like to say about this book um before we end our interview today because I know that um there's so much to say about this book, but what what one thing would you really want everyone to get from this book? That you'd be surprised that it's not really a blast from the past bit of nostalgia and how many of the arguments between what is subversive in this country or, you know, the right side of things, how much of it is still relevant. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and whether radio or I was at the Queen's Library last week, never had two similar conversations and we always wound up talking about something extremely topical right there in the moment. You know, like when I was in New York and there were protesters lying down in Times Square or closing off the bridges. Very relevant to, you know, what what do the people need? You know, what what you know, what is free speech? What are the limits? You know, what is effective short term, long term? Or whatever it might be. You know, and Lenin was a it's a it's a multifaceted look at a singularly fascinating individual. Mhm. Have you has with all these interviews that you've done because you've done quite a few, and I know that they I've read a lot of the reviews on the book and everything. Um, what have you gotten out of all this um, now that? you can look a year later since we first did our interview and we talked about the book and about what you were doing. What have you been able to um, uh, come full circle with as far as feeling-wise and accomplishment and stuff like that with the book? How do you feel um, about this way I'm grateful it to have so been popular. able to, you know, tell a story that... Uh, is so complicated, but at the same time is so simple, kind of like his music, mm-hmm. you know, and to found a story that people find, you know, still fascinating after all these years and still very, uh, a lot, you know, it's, we're not just talking about, you know, the hit records of the fame or, you know, like the Chris Harley interview with Paul McCartney, you know, mm-hmm. remember when you were with the Beatles? Yes, that was awesome. You know, I mean, there's only some uh, limit to that. But my suspicions were correct. And also with Lennon, it's, uh, you know, he's one of those who touch people where they open up about these topics. And to have been able to have, well, uh, several conversations about a song that uses a racial epitaph in the title. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to do it with, you know, a completely mixed audience and to just have a conversation about these things has been really, you know, I've really enjoyed that. It, uh, you know, the kinds of discussions that inspired, which confirmed that I was right. It was a hell of a story, and I'm glad more people got to hear it or read it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and no, that people and, you still know, read books. And yeah, no, absolutely. We still read books for sure. And, you know, I have to tell you that so much of so much of what you've written about stays with a lot of people too. And um I'm almost positive. I mean, there are certain parts of the book, I mean, that impacted me more than, you know, because everyone has a different, they can relate to things differently. And I think, I think definitely this tells a side that a lot of people aren't going to be able to actually be able to see or, you know, and feel with their heart. They're going to be able to read about it, and then they can put themselves in the moment. So you paint a really cool picture for a lot of people, which is really something that I think is really hard for a lot of um, people when they do write um, to be able to get that feeling over in that very moment that you're writing about in that book, in that in that part of the book, um, and the elephant's memory. Um, references throughout the book are really interesting and yeah that is a was a very important part that a lot of people don't really understand um, was part of the whole Beatles and John Lennon and um, his whole thing and I know Gary can talk more about that when we have him on with his new CD and talking about his years with the Elephant's Memory Band um, working with John and Yoko and and himself and the other people that were involved. Um, I I want to thank you so much for being here, and I and I I know there's so much more to talk about. Um, when are you thinking that these books are going to be available in Germany? Because I know that there's quite a few people in other countries that are going to want to read it that aren't able to translate it or something like that. When is that going to happen? Uh... By the end of February, it's late February, was all I saw um, on the publisher edition, Nautilus, uh-huh. uh, on their website. They had an announcement on it, and I'll be putting it on Facebook and that kind of thing soon. Oh, that's awesome. That's really, really cool because, you know, I know there's a lot of people that really follow and really, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that just want to know more. What, um, did you... What's your what's your reaction to um, how the Beatles fans feel about the book? Because um, I've read some thing, some of the reviews. How do you feel about that? Um, do you think that you did really good justice to them and brought them about a little bit more of an awareness on things that they didn't know? Well, you know, and that would be nice to think. Um, I mean, it's sort of like you know the Beatle audience is built in, you know, inclined to enjoy it, I would think. Uh, mm-hmm. it, while it was not my intention to, I'm going to write a book to make everyone love him, you know, or change minds or anything. It did emerge as a flattering portrait, and that just, for a great many reasons, um, without, you know, trying to make a saint out of the guy or whatever. So I think, you know, that was already built in, and hopefully if there are things, you know, they didn't know that are little unknown nuggets that, uh, you know, it was not, you know, Gary, and you can talk to him about it more, you know, uh, he said something, you know, really telling that, 
off many times while they were recording. Uh, John would have to go take a call, uh, and if it was Paul, you know, they would chat for an hour, you know, and you could hear them laughing, et cetera. And then you read in the newspaper the next day that they hate each other and John and Paul aren't talking, and it's not true. You know, uh, and so there's that kind of side that, you know, and I hope Beatles fans will keep in mind. Um, it's not a book that says Lennon was the greatest and, you know, McCartney was the lesser partner. No, they were, John Lennon had two great partners in his life, Paul, mm-hmm. you know, and the Beatles as a unit, and then Yoko, and that can't be dismissed or one's not greater than the other or, or, or whatever, you know, he was lucky to have that. And, you know, they were lucky to have him vice versa. So hopefully, you know, and, and the reaction, you know, from the Beatle fans was nice to see that I, you know, it lived up to what they would have hoped. Mm-hmm. And of equal interest is people, you know, it, inclined to look at it for what it is, which, you know, is also this political story of America. Hopefully the journalism served that well, too. But I thank no, you I for think... all the very nice things. Oh, no, it's know, amazing. No, it is. It's amazing. And, you know, when um, when you get started on these new projects, and um, I would love to have you back, uh, how could people reach you if they want to? I know you're on, you're on Facebook, and uh you have your your information up on the web um also i put i posted the amazon site as well if anyone wanted to reach you about anything james um what's the best way for anyone to reach you uh they can go through the publisher um and i think there's a link somewhere to that with the book uh, oh, com. Mm-hmm. and uh okay. you know or through your show or Facebook, whatever the uh, there aren't that many James A. Mitchells out there. No. Uh, what are you doing Why for the holidays? Are you, you going to be in town for the holidays, or are you um, leaving? Oh, staying close to home and you know, seeing folks and passing another year and no, hoping I know. to uh, still watch the Detroit Lions in the playoffs in January. We're hoping it'll be the first time <laughs> in a long time. So things are looking good and hope you and yours are doing I hope everyone all our friends in Northern California dry out and nobody hope it wasn't too tragic for any for too many. I heard Southern California's getting hammered now. That's hmm. what I heard. So, you guys stay safe. Yeah, I know. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here today. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we end our show today? Uh, just listening. If you do want to buy the book, do it at an independent bookseller if you can. If not, chains are great. Buy books. And read good books next year. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome, you know, because this is such a great book. And um, as James said, it's really, and there's some really great ph- photographs in here, too, um, by the way, that are really good. I'm looking here. I have the book in my hand. I'm trying to look. I knew there's great references in it. Um, it's really not that long of a book. 
It is a 255-page book if you're going to, well, let's see here. All in all, it's 265 pages, 265-page book, along with your bio in the back and a little bit of information. But there's some really good photos in there, and um, they're kind of cool. I want to thank you again for being here today. And again, it's James A. Mitchell, The Walrus and the Elephants, John Lennon's Years of Revolution. And uh, go grab it and read it. It's a really good read. And I want to thank you again for being here today. And if anyone missed the beginning of this, it will be available again on iTunes and on Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio, afterwards on demand. Um, Next Wednesday, um, I am going to be on the air with... uh, a very cool CD release um, from Reverend. And then on Friday, I'm going to be on the air with Gary. So that's going to be kind of cool. And then we get into Christmas week already, and I'll be doing my Christmas Eve uh, reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas, hopefully with Jan and Elaine Smith, another really cool published author. She does independent published um, books, and a lot of her books are um, kind of fun reads. Um they're fiction books, but um, really, really fun. She's a really nice lady. And I want to thank you so much again and hope you have a beautiful holiday. And for all our listeners today, again, in the chat room, thank you for tuning in. And thank you so much, James, for being here today. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure, and let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Have a beautiful day, and we'll talk to you, you soon. Too. And it's the all weekend. Right. Don't drink and drive. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.